Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Tom. I'm a pastor here. And uh, I want to begin today with a statement that I think most of us believe and practice, but realize it may not be totally true. And the statement is this, waiting is bad. Waiting is bad. And at least it seems that most of us believe that because of the way that we talk or act when we're forced to wait. How many of you look forward to spending time in a waiting room? If you want to ask out a significant other on a date or say, let's go for a fun evening, you don't say, let's go find a waiting room that we can go sit in together. It's not a fun activity. Uh, We do all that we can to avoid waiting. And when we must wait, uh, we can get huffy, impatient, even angry. And I get it. I don't enjoy waiting. And I was tested in this area this past week. I was uh, coming on my way to work, and I was coming down the hill on on Bedroll Road from the hospital, and I had to stop at the light uh, by the police station, and uh, you've got Mercados there, and just beyond the police station is the fire station, and I was third in line, and it was, you know, Tuesday, the morning when it was minus 70 here. I had to wait. I was looking forward to getting to to work and and get started. And the light turns green and the two cars in front of me begin to move. And three or four seconds later, the light turns yellow. And so I have to stop. And what is going on? I look down the road. I see that the fire truck uh, station or the fire station light is flashing red. And when that happens, that must totally shut down the red and green lights and the whole system at that intersection except for the opposite direction to me. And so I guess the plan is if the, the light starts flashing, then the fire truck can come out, and if it has to come up Boudreaux Hill, there's a green light there, and they get to go, and everyone else has to wait. Well, the green light is there. The other three directions, including mine, are red. And uh, it's green for so long that there's no cars left going the other direction while the other three directions have to wait. And then the people on Belrose get to go. So they go through their left turn signal, which takes forever. And then they go their straight across signal. And finally, I'm just praying, Lord, please don't let the fire truck or the fire light go off. Because no fire truck ever moved. No ambulance came out. So it just was on, and then it was off. And I had to wait. And finally, the light turns green, and I like go through the intersection in case it turns yellow and as I'm driving past the fire station I see someone reparking an ambulance and and I think what happened it was either a cold weather malfunction or the person reparking the ambulance got too far out away from the station and set off the system so that shut down the intersection and I need to confess to you that at that moment When I saw that person, my mind and thoughts were not filled with Christian compassion and Christmas greetings. So in a way, I failed that waiting test. And I acted like waiting is bad. But could waiting be good for us at some points and times? Well, we wait to open presents until Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And if we didn't do that... That would ruin that moment. And even waiting at a red light can be good for us 
Imagine if you just drove through every red light you came upon. Eventually, something bad is going to happen. Yet it is still hard to wait, but what if we knew that it might be for our good? Maybe we could tolerate it. Maybe we could even embrace it. And today we're going to look at the possibility that good can come from waiting on the Lord, especially. And we're going to think about how Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had to wait because of the Christmas story and the imposition on his life. And I pray that God might use his word today to encourage you if you have to wait for something in your life right now and that you will experience his love, the depth of his love, if there's been a time or maybe it's right now where you failed to wait on the Lord and you're dealing with the consequences, but now it's time to to come back and to receive his forgiveness and keep going. And then we're going to conclude by looking at a key to help us gain strength and patience while we wait on the Lord. So our text today is Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's there in front of you. You can use that one there. It's on page 678. And so this is from the gospel writer Matthew, and he takes us to the account of Joseph. But he begins with this in Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So last week we looked at the account of Gabriel appearing to Mary and the angel reveals that she is favored by God. She will bear a son, but she asks the question, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So this will be a supernatural conception. Mary accepts this, is willing to be the Lord's servant. She becomes pregnant and then goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And this, too, is a miracle since Elizabeth was barren and advanced in years. And after three months with Elizabeth, Mary returns to Nazareth, betrothed and pregnant. And we saw last week that when you were betrothed, you entered a legal agreement, and the only way to break a betrothal was through divorce. So the couple was legally married after the ceremony of betrothment, yet the groom would not take the bride into his home for about a year. And this was to ensure that she was not pregnant. And then when the year had passed, they would have a wedding ceremony. It usually happened where the groom would go to the bride's family's house and he would bring the bride in a procession back to his home and they would have a feast 
and then he would bring her into his home and they would begin the fullness of married life. But if she did get pregnant apart from her husband during the betrothal, he could break it off and be freed from his betrothal obligations. So this brings us to the account of Matthew and he immediately tells us his purpose in verse 18. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. So Matthew will not take us to the manger. He will not talk about the shepherds or the angels. He wants to explain how Jesus was conceived and born. Why? Because he writes to a Jewish audience. And what do you think was the talk in that Jewish community of Nazareth about Mary? She comes home pregnant after a three-month absence. And yes, Joseph will marry her, but everyone knows he's not the father. Or if he is, he's lying. And in those days, they call children born out of wedlock illegitimate. And this label will follow Jesus right into his public ministry. In fact, one time when he is disputing with the religious leaders, they throw this charge at him. So in John 8, 41, they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. Or to put it another way, we were not born illegitimate like you were, Jesus. And Matthew might have been even there witnessing this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders, so he determines to explain exactly how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And he shows us here that it came about through the powerful work of God and the patient obedience of Mary and Joseph. So Matthew immediately goes to the powerful work of God in verse 18, where he says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So Matthew acknowledges Joseph is not the earthly father of Jesus. He's not the biological father. But he also refutes the charge that some other human male was the father, it was the powerful work of God through the Holy Spirit that caused this conception. And this is one of the greatest miracles done by God. He brings together the divine and the human into this little child. And somehow he protects the baby from the sin nature of his parents. So far from being stained with sin, this child is more holy than any child that has ever been born. But at some point, Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. We don't know if when she came back, she told him, or if the rumor mill started as soon as she came back and he heard about it. But he concludes she has been unfaithful, and in verse 19, he resolves to divorce her. Yet, Matthew tells us Joseph is a just man. So first of all, that means he wants to honor the Lord with his life, and he wants to live righteously, and he thinks that Mary doesn't because she's pregnant. So he concludes, well, I can't marry her, but I don't want to put her to shame either. He could have called her out publicly, caused greater disgrace to her and her family. Instead, he wants to do it quietly in a small private ceremony where the betrothal is broken and dissolved and they would go their separate ways. But then the power of God intervenes again. God sends an angel to Joseph in his dreams, and the angel addresses Joseph's fear. 
And then the angel explains what's going on. Verse 20, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel gives two commands to Joseph. One, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, which would involve going through with the wedding ceremony and taking her into his home. And then in verse 21, the angel commands Joseph to name the child Jesus. And if a father, a man, named the child, he was taking the child as his own. The angel ties the name Jesus to saving people from their sins. And this info is enough to convince or persuade Joseph. So the birth of Jesus Christ came about through the powerful work of God, the miraculous conception and the angelic message, but it also came about through the patient obedience of Joseph and Mary. And last week we saw that Mary, once she had her question answered, submitted to being the Lord's servant and carrying out this high responsibility. And Joseph responds in the same way of obedience and submission to the Lord. Matthew reveals three actions of Joseph after the dream. First, in verse 24, he awoke and did what the Lord commanded and took his wife. Meaning they probably had some sort of wedding ceremony. Maybe it was a small thing. Maybe it was pretty quiet because of the suspicion of the community. Joseph likely does not have the wedding he's always dreamed about. And we don't hear anything about his parents or what they thought about this, but he goes ahead anyway. And then second, in verse 25, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, which means he did not have sex with her until after Jesus was born. But he took her into his house. And since they were a poor family, it's very likely they slept in the same house bad. Yet they both refrain from relations because of their desire to honor the Lord. And Matthew includes this detail, I think, to address the question about whether Joseph fathered Jesus. And then third, Joseph names Jesus, accepting the child as his own, and he will take this child entrusted to him by God and raise him as his own son. Now, let's think about how Joseph had to wait because of the Christmas story. First of all, we know he had to wait in having relations with his wife, Mary. And remember, he's a young man. She's a young woman. She's sleeping right beside him for months. Yet, he has to wait, and she has to wait and adjust to this new reality. Secondly, Joseph would have to wait for the reconstruction of his reputation, his good reputation. Some of their friends or family may have supported them, but in an honor and shame culture, if you did something shameful or you were suspected of doing something shameful, you were cut off from the community. People would not see you socially. They might not even talk to you. They might insist you move to another part of town. We don't know how the priest responded to them. They may have been kicked out of the synagogue. We don't know. Yet Joseph, a God-fearing man who has done nothing wrong, lives under suspicion. And he will have to wait for the reconstruction of a good reputation. And thirdly, Joseph had to wait for wisdom on how to raise the Son of God. 
Talk about a heavy responsibility. I love the scene from the film Nativity where Joseph and Mary are talking about this future with this child. And I think Mary asks him, are, are you afraid? And he says, yes. Yes, are you? And she says, yes. And then he says something like, I, I wonder if I'll be able to teach him anything. And those of you who are parents might remember the months leading up to your first child and the anxieties. And then you have the baby and the questions about what do I do in this situation? And Joseph would have to wait for wisdom from the heavenly father to instruct him as the earthly father of Jesus in the ways of the Lord. Yet Joseph received a tremendous privilege. This poor tradesman from a faraway village gets the responsibility of caring for and raising up God's son. And through his life, we can learn about the good that can come from waiting on God. And I'd put it like this. What good can come from waiting on God? We can experience deep soul satisfaction through participation in God's eternal purposes. Joseph got to participate in God's eternal purpose of bringing his son into the world who would save people from their sins. But God has many other eternal purposes that he continues to work on today. One is for us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Romans 8.29 says God aims to conform us to the likeness of his son. Do you think waiting and learning to wait might help conform us to the likeness of Jesus? God's eternal purposes include reuniting himself with his people to recover from the fracture of the Garden of Eden. Well, when we come to Christ, we have all of this sin stuff that keeps us from God, and God works with us to begin the journey of intimate closeness with him. And Jesus' coming will show us Emmanuel, God with us. He's present with us so we begin to learn as we wait on God what it's like to walk with God day by day. And God's purposes include entrusting his people with the influencing other lives for his glory. So the people that are around you, the people that he brings into your life, you are called to love as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your family as yourself. And whatever we do, he wants us to do it in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. So when we think about the eternal purposes of God, it can fuel our daily activities and give us strength to wait. So think about having and raising kids, for example. Well, the parents of young kids often have to put their own goals and their own passions and their own dreams on hold for a few years. But investing fully in the hard work of raising your kids can lead to equipping them for life in the world, influencing them to follow Christ. You can experience the deep soul satisfaction of participating in God's eternal purpose of shaping a young life to know him. But it involves waiting on the other things that you might want to do with your life. Or staying faithful and persevering in marriage involves waiting on God. Instead of becoming impatient and saying, oh, well, we're going to find excitement with someone else, we depend on God to grow and change us and our spouse. 
And he uses our spouse to change and shape us where we need to grow. And if we cooperate with God, we will experience a maturity and growth that we might never have experienced if he had not brought that person into our lives. Yet it involves waiting and persevering. Some of you have had to make very difficult choices about a marriage or a relationship with one of your kids. You have sought and trusted the Lord to take these steps and you have gone through the hard times and distress of maybe a divorce or maybe a separation or some sort of alienation from your kids and there was deep pain and maybe you are now waiting on the Lord to bring you back to a season of recovery and joy in him. It was painful yet now you wait. Pregnant moms must wait on God through difficult pregnancies. Some of you have waited on God through the journey of singleness. You could have had a relationship if you compromised your convictions, yet you said no to honor the Lord. Some of you wait on God for the salvation of a loved one, and you've been praying for years and hope that they will turn to Christ, and you have not yet seen this. Yet you've not abandoned your faith. You continue to pray. And the Lord hears the prayers of his people. And some of these we will not see the results of or the resolution to until we get to eternity. And some of you have waited on God through tragedy in your life. And you could have cursed God like Job's wife encouraged him to do. Yet you have continued to live one day at a time, trusting the Lord to see you through. And your testimony and example are used by the Lord to encourage others to keep going, even though you wait for a reunion or for the healing that must happen in your life from this tragedy. The scriptures tell us again and again that waiting on God is fruitful, valuable, and helpful. Yet it's hard. So how can we keep focused while we wait and act on God's eternal purposes? And a simple answer with a lot of implications. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And I could think of four reasons or four helps that we can receive when we look to Jesus. The first one is inspiration for perseverance in waiting. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus persevered through the agony of the cross by looking to the joy of what would come on the other side of it. And it says he despised the shame. Well, it was extremely shameful to be crucified on a cross. That is the most shameful thing that could happen to anyone at that time in history. It was the humiliating death reserved for the worst criminals. But we're told Jesus despised the shame or scorned the shame. And it doesn't mean that he sneered at it. It means that he thought it of little weight compared to the joy that was on the other side. 
And so we must look beyond whatever we are waiting for during this waiting period to the joy of the other side or to what is promised and continue on. We, so we look to Jesus for inspiration in persevering and waiting, but we also can look to Jesus for an example of waiting. And there's two, two ways I can, I can see this. The first is he waited 30 years before he started his public ministry. According to Luke 2, 23, Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30. Why didn't he start when he was 20? Why didn't he start when he was 25? Waste of a decade, isn't it? Well, apparently that's exactly what God wanted him to do. To grow, to mature, to learn all the things that he needed to learn so that he was ready when he was 30 years of age. And secondly, Jesus waited for his father to glorify him and did not run ahead despite Satan's temptation. Do you remember one of the temptations of Satan? Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to that him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Well, what a, what a wonderful shortcut to glory. He doesn't have to go to the cross. He doesn't have to go through all that hassle with the disciples. Fall down and worship Satan, and he's got all the kingdoms in the world. Where would you and I be today if Jesus had not waited on his father? Yet he waits he refuses the devil's invitation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him that name that is above every name. Philippians 2, 9. And then we look to Jesus for forgiveness when we have not waited on the Lord. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have not waited on the Lord for something and now we're living in the consequences while well, we come to the Lord who waits to forgive us and show us grace. And then he says, I'll walk with you and help you through this situation that you're in and we can begin or renew our close relationship together. And then fourthly, we look to Jesus for very present help while we wait. You know the verses, some of you, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do you think we could learn something from Jesus about waiting on the Father like he did? And then a last one, which I don't have on the bulletin there or on the slides, but maybe you could look to the Lord for what you've been waiting for for your entire life. And some of you have been looking for forgiveness. You've been looking for a purpose higher than yourself. You've been looking for reconciliation with God. You've been looking for a new beginning. That's found with Christ. And that can happen when you receive him as your Savior, as your Lord, and begin a life walking with him. Well, what happened with Joseph? Joseph who was forced into this waiting time. Well, first we saw that he had to wait to have relations with Mary, but do you know what happened after that? 
they had four boys and an unnamed number of girls. According to Matthew 13, 55, when the leaders are despising Jesus, they say, don't, who is this guy Jesus? Aren't his four brothers? And they named them with us and his sisters. They had lots of kids. And what about his reputation? Well, now Joseph's reputation is preserved for us in the scriptures as a devout and a righteous man. And what about the wisdom to raise the Son of God? Well, Jesus learned obedience, we're told. And his father probably played a role in teaching him. For the birth of Jesus Christ came about by the powerful work of God and the patient obedience of Joseph and Mary. And through them we can learn good can come from waiting on God. And so as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, I want to invite you to bring before the Lord the things that you're waiting for or maybe Come before the Lord with the things that he's spoken to you about. And then we'll be reminded of what he accomplished for us as we, came, as we come to his table.